0: Over the past few weeks, I've done a good bit of traveling, either vacation or with a group that got to go up and celebrate with uh, Dr. Hopkins as uh, he was inaugurated as president of Campbellsville University. This past week, I spent several days in Richmond with the other IMB trustees meeting together for our regular time of gathering. I've had a lot of traveling to do. And one of the great advantages of those times when you travel, whether it's just on the road or in a plane or sitting at the beach is you have a chance to read and you get to read a lot of different things I like to read novels I like to read books that are spiritually challenging and I like to catch up on some of the things that are being said in different periodicals and on the web and just kind of catching up with stuff that I don't usually have enough time to read and and across these last few weeks I've come across several articles that really were challenging to me, made me think a lot. And I wanted to share kind of some of the things that I've been reading. The first one was an article about corporate America these days. He was talking about a new phenomenon that is sweeping across America's workplace. It's described as quiet quitting. And quiet quitting describes what's going on in the lives of people who have discovered that in the world we live in today, with all of the technology and all of the instant communication, that suddenly starting work and stopping work has completely changed because now there are folks who are working in corporate America and they're expected to be available at any time through email, through text, through uh, Zoom, through uh, Instagram to be able to both see and respond to things on an instant basis. And because of that, there's kind of been this blurring of the lines of when you start working, when you stop working, what, what time belongs to the company, and what time belongs to you. And so people have begun to exercise this thing called quiet quitting. And what that means is, I'm not going to quit, I'm just going to stop. I'm going to give you the minimum effort that I have to give Because I just feel like I've been so overwhelmed, I'm going to quietly quit doing too much too often. Seems like an okay solution for those who feel that sort of pressure, except the companies have responded. And they have said this, if you're going to quietly quit, then we're going to practice silently firing And silent firing means we're not going to take your job away and we're not going to take away your title and we're not going to tell you we won't compensate you. We're just not going to assign you any more tasks and we're not going to give you anything to do. And as a result of that, while you have the title, you no longer get the salary that you used to get because we're only going to pay you for what we feel like we're getting from you. It's an interesting thing, isn't it? An interesting time in America when people are trying to figure out, so how do you do all of this workplace with everything that's changed and all the things that are different and so many people who are working from home and how do you keep your life disciplined and how do you manage your your work life along with your home life? And there was just a lot of interesting things, uh, issues that were brought up in that article. And so I read that one and, and then I read a second one. And it had to do with contemporary America's sense of displacement. And that's the word that they used, displacement. And they said it resulted from a great deal of frustration and lost identity and social upheaval in our society that has to do with two factors. The one is the isolation that came about during the pandemic you know, we look back and we remember a couple of years ago. What were you told? You can't be around your friends. You can't be around your family. You can't be around other people. You can't be around anybody. You just need to stay at home and don't get close to anybody. You remember what that was like and remember how frustrating it was. And because of that, so many people developed this sense of isolation. Of I'm in this world all by myself and just me and, and a few people around me. And that's all there's going to be. And so there's this great sense of isolation that is developed in america and then they said the second thing is this the mass relocation of our population They said over the last two years more people have chosen to leave one place and go to another than any time since immediately after the Second World War. People are moving from one city to another, one state to another, one country to another. People are moving all about and all around America all of a sudden we found people saying well I'm not sure I'm happy living here so I think I'm going to move and I'm going to live here. I'm tired of what's going on in this place, so now I'm going to go to that place. And what they're discovering is when you change locations, everything in your life changes. It's not just that I used to live at one address and now I live at another. It is when I go to this new place, all of a sudden people don't act like me, people don't think like me, people don't relate like me, and I'm finding out I've got to adjust to a whole new culture. Now we're used to thinking that way, John, Mark, we think about it that way when you move from one country to another as a missionary. But what we don't think about is when I leave the West Coast and go to the East Coast, when I leave the North and come to the South or vice versa, everything around me changes. People are different from me. And because of that, people have this incredible sense of being, being displaced. So we've got the quiet quitters who are trying to figure out how do you do work. And we've got the displaced people who are trying to figure out what's going on all around them. And they're being exposed to all kind of new things. And then the third article was a little more personal I have to be honest because it had to do with what's going on in the lives of pastors these days as the pandemic recedes and becomes part of what we used to do and not part of who we are and this is what this article said it said in the depths of the lockdown pastors found themselves finding unique ways to minister in a situation nobody could have anticipated they responded with compassion and creativity And passion. We found new ways to do ministry. And we know that. We remember we went through 11 weeks with nobody in the sanctuary. And then we came back and we had to do two services rather than have too many. We even had two Christmas Eve communion services. We did first lights outside because we couldn't invite people to come inside for Christmas. We found all kinds of creative ways to keep up with people. We did our daily encouragements here uh, on the internet so folks could feel connected to their church. We learned how to practice the Lord's Supper even when we couldn't be together as a group. But now the crisis has passed and many ministers are discovering how challenging it is to help our churches return to normal. I had a lot of conversations about that while I was with the IMB folks this week. A lot of conversations about how it's hard to get back to normal in the congregations across America about what's changed and who's changed and how's it changed. And then they also said this. And at the same time, pastors are beginning to realize just how depleted their personal reserves have become that in the midst of all of the needs and all of the adjustments and all of the creativity, there was just this great rush of adrenaline. This is how you do things. This is how we're going to find ways to minister. This is how we're going to keep our folks connected. And now there's that chance to kind of, and they said, and this article said, and a lot of people are finding themselves very depleted. In fact, this is what it said. In the past year, about 40% of the pastors in America have at one time or another seriously considered whether it's time to step down and do something different with their lives. Boy, that's a lot of stuff to read in articles. I don't know why I call that vacation We talked about what do you do at the workplace. We talked about where do you live and how do you act. We talked about what goes on when everything changes and you're trying to get back to normal. And those are just a few examples of what's been going on in a lot of people's lives. And that's what makes these articles so important because they describe an experience that's far too common. People are struggling. Wherever you turn, people are struggling emotionally, socially, financially, spiritually, People are struggling. They're trying to figure out how do I make sense out of everything that's going on in, the life around, in my life around me. They turn to the media and find they're being fed an increasingly negative perspective on the world. I read a, an article the other day about the fact that there's a real possibility that within the next billion years America is going to con, uh, collide with an asteroid big enough to destroy life as we know it on this planet in the next billion years. I thought to myself, we're trying to find something to be scared of these days. It seems as though whatever you see on media and whatever's portrayed to you, it's always about worry about this, be afraid of that, don't uh, don't ever be hopeful because there's just too many things to worry about. I think we have become addicted to discouragement and hungry for hope. And nobody's struggling alone. Let's face it, whenever anybody is struggling to keep their head above water, other people are always affected. And so you look around yourself and you see families that are wounded, friends that are divided, workplaces that are fractured. And when that wounded person is a Christian, people wonder, how in the world did God let this happen? Now what if I stopped right now and just said, amen, let's go home. What a discouraging place this would be. But the truth is this the Lord never wants any of His children to endure such an experience alone. This is what the Bible tells us it tells us God's will is that our relationship with Him provides the spiritual resources and the personal uh, assets that we need to live balanced and fruitful lives. Here's the thing. We think of being personally depleted. We think of being stressed out and feeling like we're overwhelmed as a modern problem. But the truth is, King David understood all about it. If you want to describe David's life, one of the ways you can talk about it is, here's a man who knew what it was like to live under stress every day of his life. Think about it. Every morning he got up, he had a kingdom to build. He had a people to provide for, an army to lead. He knew that his decisions affected everybody around him and they were all depending upon him to do the right thing. Every day of his life, he dealt with adversaries on the outside and demands on the inside. And in the midst of it all, David knew the solution. This is what he said. I think about the Lord And I remember, he restores my soul. In the midst of the stresses and pressures of life, he restores my soul. And he did it for David, and he'll do it for you, and he does it for me. The truth is, we can become overwhelmed if we think the externals around us are in control. But when we realize, you know, I belong to a Lord who loves me. He is my shepherd and he takes care of me. And in those times when I feel like I've reached my limit to recognize, I worship the one who restores my soul. You see, David's statement reveals a question that lies at the center of every human heart. A question so important that it will determine the direction of your life. A question that is so critical that everything you believe and everything you do revolves around the answer to that question. And what is that question? What is God like? What is God like? as I face the life in front of me and as I encounter the obstacles before me and as I struggle with the decisions I have to make and the pressures that are going around me, what I want to know is what is God like? What's he doing in the midst of all of this? Is he there? Does he care? Can I depend upon him? Can I trust him? One of the reasons that people live depleted lives is because they misunderstand the nature of God. Some people believe in a God of impossible expectations. No matter what I do and how hard I try, it's never going to be enough. I can't please him. God will always be disappointed in me. Some people believe in a constantly critical God. He's always looking for me to mess up because he wants me to know he's caught me in the midst of it. Far too many people believe their God only loves them as long as they're doing good things. As long as I'm doing good things, God will care for me. But if I ever mess up or slip up or wear out, then God's going to be done with me. When you ask the question, what is God like, you recognize it's time to realize the way the Lord revealed himself through that promise in Psalm 23 3, he restores my soul. So let me take a few minutes this morning. I just want to talk to you about what God is like and what you can expect out of a relationship with Him. The first thing I want you to know is this the 23rd Psalm tells us that God is a giver and not a taker, God is a giver. And not a taker. There's nothing that brings pleasure to the heart of a true shepherd. More than the sure knowledge he is providing for his own. In David's day as the shepherd looked out over the flock. He wanted to see sheep who were thriving who were experiencing abundance, who were becoming everything that they had the capability to do. He he never wanted to look out over his flock and see hungry sheep who were dwindling away. He never wanted to see them struggling to survive. He wanted to see them thrive and do well. And the same thing is true of our God. He wants to see his people thrive and do well. The Bible says the Lord is that kind of shepherd. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. In other words, he gives me the things I need the most. He provides for you, and he provides for you out of his abundance. His gifts are given to you generously and not reluctantly. We don't worship a God who says, I'll give you just enough to get by. We don't worship a God who says, I'll provide for you, but just on a survival level. Instead, we have a God who provides for us, and he provides for us freely, and he provides for us out of his abundance. The Bible says every good gift and every perfect gift is from above. It comes down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no shadow of turning. Every good and perfect gift comes from the hand of a God who loves you, wants to pour his blessings out on your life. When God offers his grace so generously, why is it that so many people are unwilling or unable to receive these abundant blessings of God? And the answer is this. Too many people believe the Lord is a taker and not a giver. In spite of all the evidence of his goodness, they think he wants to take every good thing away from me. If I ever seriously trusted him, if I ever really believed in the Lord, then that would mean he would start taking away from me everything that I like, everything that I want, everything that I enjoy. He would suck the life out of me and take it all away. They're convinced that to seriously surrender means giving up everything I don't want to give to him you know there are two reasons that's a foolish idea the first one is this you don't have anything the Lord needs the Lord never looks down on you and says well I see what you have and you have it and I don't so I'm going to take it away from you there is nothing you have in your life that the Lord needs and wants to take away and then the second thing that makes this attitude so silly is this and when we when he takes from us most of the time the things we struggle to hand, uh, so hard to surrender are the things that make us miserable to begin with. We say, "I can't give this up. I can't let this go. If I do, it won't be part of my life anymore. And we struggle to let it go and give it to God. And so many times, all we really need to do is let it go. Give it to God. That thing I'm struggling to release is the very thing that's making my life miserable. Listen to me. The Lord is not committed to taking things away. What He's committed to doing is replacing lesser things with greater things. Anything He asks you to take out of your life needs to go away so it makes room for something else that's even better. It is so you can receive the things that come from his hand. I love a story Bob Benson tells. I I told, I may have shared this before, but if I have, that's all right because it's too good a story not to tell again. Bob Benson says sometimes our attitude toward the Lord and surrendering to him is like someone who's invited to a church-wide picnic. You know, you get to church that morning and you sit down in your place in the pew and the pastor gets up and he says now don't forget this afternoon we're going to be back we'll be back at 2 o'clock we're going to have a church wide dinner on the grounds it's going to be the greatest thing you've ever had and everybody's bringing out of their abundance and so people are bringing roast beef and they're bringing fried chicken and they're bringing ham and wonderful and all kinds of vegetables anything you can imagine here it comes and then here come all sorts of desserts and at the end of the row, there's that huge banana that you know there's that one lady at church that really knows how to make it and all of that stuff is coming we're gonna have the greatest time you make sure you're back for dinner on the grounds two o'clock and you've forgotten all about it so you never took time to make anything and you get home and you try to figure out what can I take because I really want to go I want to be with everybody I want to spend time and and you look around your house and all you can find is a couple of pieces of old stale bread And just a little bit of mustard at the bottom of a jar. And a piece of bologna that's already kind of getting crunchy around the edges. You know what I'm talking about? But you want to go, so you put your mustard on your bread, and you lay the bologna down, and you put the other piece of bread on there, and you wrap it up in waxed paper, and off you go to dinner on the grounds. And you get there and you take your seat and everybody begins to get their food and everybody, you know, they're just loading up their plates with all that great food that everybody brought. But you don't feel like you should get into that because you know all you had to bring. So you just take your old sandwich and you sit down at a chair and you unwrap that wax paper. And there it is. These people are enjoying an abundance these people are having a feast those people across from me they have more food than they can fit on their plate and there you are and somebody notices the situation so this is what they say rather than embarrass you and say well I see you didn't have anything to bring they say you know what why don't we just put it all together and we'll divide it out and we'll all enjoy what we have around us here at the table And you say to them, oh, no. I see what you're up to. You want my bologna sandwich. (laughs) You think you can trick me into giving up my stale bread for your abundance. No, no, no. this is my sandwich, and I'm going to hang on to it. No matter what. And then Bob Benson says, and isn't it funny that that's exactly what we do with the Lord. We say to the Lord as he comes to us and says, here's my abundance, and I want you to have it, and I want to bless you with it. And we say to him, no, no, no. I see what you're doing. You're trying to take away this thing that I don't even want to begin with. You want me to let go of this stuff just so I can have your stuff. You can't fool me. And we refuse to receive what God so freely wants to bless us with. He is a giver and not a taker. So, I guess my question for you this morning is this So, what's the bologna sandwich in your life? What is it you've been clutching to so desperately? And you know you need to let it go. Because until you do, you can't receive what God wants to give you. Our God is a giver and not a taker. David also wants us to remember this. And our God is a God of love and not legalism. One of the reasons people struggle to find rest in the Lord is because they believe he's the great scorekeeper in the sky. God is the one who is always watching to catch us breaking the rules. He's up in heaven watching everything you do. He's measuring you against a perfect standard. And, he, and you know, you know, if I ever mess up, he's going to lower the boom. If I ever make a mistake, he's going to punish me. I've got to be careful because I know God is just waiting to catch me doing less than the best so he can point me out and embarrass me and humiliate me and punish me he's a God of legalism you know I worked for a boss like that one time Back in college days. And I remember you could always tell when that particular boss was out on the floor of the plant, and you could tell by the tension you saw in the faces of the people around you. And everybody was afraid to do their best because they knew no matter what, this might be your day. This might be your day when that boss is gonna single you out and he's gonna point at you and he's gonna yell at you and everybody around you is gonna know you made a mistake. It's hard to do a good job when you're so afraid of being singled out. How do you rest around a God who is like that, a God who is constantly critical of His people? Your stomach is always in knots. You worry if something bad is coming. You constantly wonder have I done something that's anything like good enough? The Bible says that's not what the Lord is like at all. Remember how Ezekiel described what the Messiah would be like. He shall feed them and be their shepherd. Jesus himself revealed that his father is a God of love and not legalism. Now, understand, that doesn't mean God overlooks sin or excuses deliberate rebellion. This is what it means. When he sees something wrong in your life, his first instinct is to fix you, forgive you, and restore you. His first instinct is to pour out his love and to help you become everything he knows you can be. He knows when to heal you. He knows when to hurt you. He knows when to confront and when to comfort But whatever he does, he does for your benefit. He's just that kind of God. And then David tells us this. He says, and our God is a God who restores. That phrase that he used in the 23rd Psalm, still waters, that has special meaning for David. It reminded him of the days before he was king. Those years when he was a fugitive running for his life, always knowing that King Saul was one step behind him trying to take his life away. And First Samuel tells us this, that often when David and his men were weary and worn out and they reached their limit, they would seek refuge at an oasis in the desert called En Gedi. I had a chance to visit there one time and that's truly what it is. That place out in the middle of the desert, where all of a sudden you see an abundance and you see fresh water, and you know it 's a place where you could rest for in, for David, Engedi was his place of godly refuge. it was the place he went when he was all worn out. Now you know what makes that so important? The English translation for the name Engedi. Still waters. Still waters. David was remem- remembering in Getty when he wrote the 23rd Psalm. He was saying, I remember how the Lord provides that place of refuge and restoration. And today Christ continues to call on you and me to come to the ingedi in our own lives where sin will find forgiveness and hurt finds comfort and weakness encounters strength and grace makes you whole. This is God's invitation to you. Find that ingedi in your life. Not an oasis in the desert. Not a physical face, a place of green grass and still water. Because for us the difference is our engeti is not a place, it's a person. We find everything we desperately need in Jesus Christ. Come to the Lord Jesus. He restores your soul. Come to the Lord Jesus. He will meet you at that place where you're stressed out to the very end. Come to the Lord Jesus and recognize when you feel so depleted, he's there to replenish you and restore you. And you'll never know anybody like him who can make you right when everything seems wrong. Long ago, Jesus offered an invitation in Matthew eleven twenty-eight. 28. He said, come to me all you who labor and are heavy laden and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me for I am gentle and lowly in heart. You will find rest for your souls for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. One writer paraphrased that invitation in this way. Walk with me And work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I love that last phrase. The unforced rhythms of grace. Long ago, David wrote in the 23rd Psalm, He restores my soul. Does that sound good to you this morning? Did you walk in this morning feeling like you'd been pushed to your limit? Was there a time this past week when you wondered if it wasn't time to just give it all up? Has there been that moment when you felt as though, I just can't handle what's going on around me any longer? Jesus says, come to me. Walk with me. Learn from me. learn the unforced rhythms of grace come from the hand of the one who loves you and gave himself for you I am so grateful that long ago David gave us a solution an antidote for all of the stresses of life he restores my soul do you trust him Do you depend upon him? Maybe you're here this morning. You don't know him, not the Lord Jesus Christ. Maybe you have always believed in this God that was so critical. Maybe you've always thought that there was a God that just was trying to withhold every good thing from you. You need to recognize every good and perfect gift comes from above, comes from your Father, comes from your Savior. And if you trust him, you can have it maybe today you need to become a Christian to trust Jesus Christ to do in you what you can never do in yourself maybe there's another decision maybe you need to be part of this fellowship you know I've been like some of those folks who feel so restless and unsettled and I just need a place where I know I belong and maybe God is saying to you this is it First Baptist Church this is where you need to belong Maybe there's another decision. We're going to stand. We're going to sing our invitation. I'll be here. Dr. Hutchins will be here. We would love to receive you today. Will you come? Let's stand together. Let's sing. good day in God's house. My prayer is that we discover in the Lord that restoration that we need for our souls. Now I know we're about to leave and I'm going to turn you loose and you're saying to yourself I think I might come back tonight for the Andy thing but I'm not sure and you're kind of on the edge of whether to come. I just need to ask you one question before we go and that first question is do you like Ice cream sandwiches. Because we're going to be having ice cream sandwiches as part of our snack tonight. And if that doesn't convince you, what if those ice cream sandwiches were called Fat Boys? That's what we have coming this evening. And I look forward to seeing you tonight at six o'clock. Let's pray. And then we'll have our final song. Father, we do thank you that you're a God who restores us. Lord, we know that the challenges and stresses of life can deplete us. What's going on at home, what's going on at work, what's going on in the world. Lord, it just is enough to overwhelm us if we faced it by ourselves. But thank you, Lord, that you're the one who restores our souls through our faith in Jesus Christ the one who loved us and gave himself for us. And we pray in his name. Amen.